Well, again, thank you for letting me come, Pastor, and for being here today. It's my joy always to come to Central Baptist Church. 1 Peter chapter number 5 is my text of choice tonight. And I want to do something that I uh, think is, um, well, I think it's apropos for the time in which we live and um, helpful in a variety of ways, maybe just a little different structure in the message from what I do sometimes. But, uh, but you'll work with me here for the next half hour or so. 1 Peter chapter number 5, and I begin reading with verse number 6. Now this is kind of in the middle and at the end of the epistle, but verses 6 and following, and this is where it begins. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace, who hath called us into his, unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that you have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, you just take a look at what we've just read. And uh, the admonition there is to give God place, give ourself, yield ourself to Him, and let, let Him be big in our life, cast our care on Him, and all the more reason because the devil, like a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour, trying to disrupt, trying to destroy, trying to do every devilish, destructive thing that he can do. And uh, we're told to resist him. Our faith is an instrument whereby we can resist him. But we need to know that the same kind of trouble that affects people out in the world, you and I are going to face all of that kind of stuff as well. Reason simply being, we live in a fallen world. We live in a world where the devil is running rampant and doing whatever he chooses to do. But God is God, and God is the God of grace. And He will do good things for us. And this passage says that the suffering is but for a little while. And then the Lord will obviously have full charge at some point. Now, we have in the Bible the promise of the millennium. That's that thousand-year reign that comes after the rapture and after the Great Tribulation, after Armageddon, all, all, of, all of these things going on. Now, when everything, uh, the millennium, is that time when everything is under the Lord's control, when everything will respond to exactly what He says and all will be well. But dear friends, we are not yet in the millennium. We're not there yet. Our world is convulsing in turmoil, trouble, and all kinds of terror. Every aspect of our society is on a toboggan slide on an icy slope going downhill. I mean, you just look at it politically, educationally, the networks, our society at large, even our churches, so many of them, are, are just headed in the wrong direction, doing all kinds of crazy things. In fact, 
you know, sometimes we think we're about to get it rolling and we say, man, everything is taking shape. And then it gets out of shape. Uh, we say, well, everything is going to be all right. And then it's not all right. Uh, we say, well, it can't get any worse. And then it does. Now, all of, I mean, that's the world we live in. And I, I, I'm going to entitle what I'm giving you Unrelenting Storms but unfailing anchors. Unrelenting storms. You know, when I read through the Bible, there's storm after storm that keeps coming to the people of God. You see Israel down in Egypt. You see David, the great king whose son betrayed him. Job, who had the multiple assaults by Satan. Daniel in the lion's den and the Hebrew children in the fiery furnace and John the Baptist and his encounters with Herod and the Apostle Paul and the early church being bombarded on, on, at every turn. I mean, all of that, just storm after storm after storm here in America. The past uh, hundred years or so, we had World War I, World War II, Korea, Vietnam, Desert Storm, 911, the pandemic, I mean, it's been one thing after another, storm after storm after storm. And on a personal note, 1994, the last full year that I was pastor up in Maryland, I went to the cemetery five times that summer with families out of my church five times that summer in a three-month period. I went five times carrying a little tiny casket. That's a storm. Families with a little one lived a day, two days, three days. Five families, we buried their little ones in a three-month period. Desert storm came along. We had one young man killed of the 200 or so that died in, in that uh, conflict. We had one young man out of our county that was killed, and he was a member of my church. It was quite a day that we buried that young patriot. A storm. Uh, so many times over the years, precious people that we've known took their own life, storm after storm. Families that I've known, their homes caught fire and burned. Other times uh, through no fault of their own, or maybe sometimes maybe they didn't make good decisions, wound up in bankruptcy. Storm after storm. Times when people have fallen under some pressure and they've been sued unjustly and accusations hurled at them. Families go through divorce. Children go astray. Uh, you're just uh, living your life and tornadoes hit. Uh, like... Uh, hit our city in 2009 in, in Murfreesboro and tore up over 800 homes and businesses in just a matter of minutes. Uh, Friday, a week ago, uh, last, last week on a Friday, Betty and I went up to Mayfield, Kentucky, where that uh, storm hit just uh, two months earlier. Uh, she and I grew up there within about 10 or 12 miles of Mayfield. It's the first time we'd been since that storm hit. And I'll tell you, the networks didn't begin to tell the story didn't begin to tell the devastation of that. Precious people, few of them, uh, a couple of dozen or so died there in that uh, relatively small town of eight or 10,000 people. And, um, and yet, 
I learned, I learned while I was there that uh, the Paducah television station, which is 30 miles away, um, they really saved the day because at 7.30, the tornado hit at 9.30, at 7.30 they announced and said to the people, uh, you've got to leave Mayfield now because at 9.30 it's a big one, it's going to hit, it's going to tear your town up, and people left by the thousands. Just, just fled the direction, away from the direction of it. And, uh, but it's a storm. And these storms, dear friend, whether they be uh, something like a tornado or some societal thing or something that hits your family, whatever the case, just storm after storm after storm, they keep coming. Our society is in a breakdown. It's corrupting at its core. You say, who's creating that? The atheists, the humanists, the secularists, the liberals, so-called progressives, the evolutionists, the homosexuals, the Islamists, the cultists, the rock and roll culture and all of its stepchildren, Hollywood, the networks, the New Agers, the National Education Association, the ACLU and the FFRF and universities and a lot of apostate churches, all of them are involved in the breakdown and the continuing assault of storms upon my life and your life, my family and your family, our town, your town. I ask you the question, do I need to belabor the point? And I quickly answer, yes, I do. And the reason that we need to belabor the point is because in the midst of all of this, we keep faltering and flailing and fluttering and flopping. We just, I mean, just sadly, but it's true, so many folks, so many folks who name the name of the Lord, they collapse under the weight of the storms. So I ask another question. Are there anchors that will be unfailing for us? You see, most people are not ready for the storms. You say, why aren't they ready? I'll put it this way. I think they prepare with pup tents instead of storm cellars. And whenever you prepare with a pup tent, it's not going to endure much of a storm. You say, why do they do that? Well, uh, there's a tendency to say, oh, the storm is somewhere, but it's not going to be here. The storm will impact somebody, but not me, not us. Now, dear friends, if you live anything like a normal lifetime, you're going to have some storms. Uh, Betty and I have been through two different tornadoes. Uh, living up in the mid-Atlantic, we uh, have been through several blizzards. Uh, and we, we understand something of what that's about. I've been on one airplane when we had to make an emergency landing. I've been to the ER, the emergency room, with family and friends and others any number of times, and even for myself a couple of times, or more times than that, actually. And uh, you say, in the midst of all of this, what helps us to make it through the storm? Well, here's my suggestions. Number one, you and I need a fully secured salvation. A fully secured salvation. Now, as you might imagine, putting out the newspaper and being on the radio every day, I get a lot of mail. And a lot of it is very kind, uh, very supportive, very complimentary, and we appreciate getting mail like that. But at the same time, when we put the paper out and the broadcast out, uh, 
literally around the world, we get some other mail. And some of it is uh, just questions, some of it is uh, kind of on the attack mode. And the question, one of the questions that I get raised over and over and over again are from religious people who will tell you that they're Christians, but they do not have a fully assured salvation. They're not secure in their salvation. They think that whatever they got on Sunday, they can lose on Tuesday, get it back on Thursday, and maybe get it back the following Sunday. Now, when I read my Bible, that's not the kind of salvation that is advocated in the Bible. Salvation is a once-for-all event. Uh, you know, when you think about uh, the fact that you are living in this world, you, you were born one time. Once. That's how you got here. You were born once. You may not remember it. Some of you might, but no, I don't think you would. You don't remember when you were born physically, but you were born. The fact that you're here, I'm going to just declare it. You were born. Jesus said, as the lady sang a few minutes ago, Jesus said we needed to be born a second time. Not multiple times, but he just simply said you need to be born again. You need to be born, you've been born physically, you need to be born from above. And he tells us that, and what he tells us that he gives is everlasting life. Now, I didn't bother to check it, but I think I know the meaning of everlasting. I don't think that means Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. I don't think it means if you behave yourself. I don't think it means that uh, you can take it or leave it. When he says everlasting, that's what he gives. And what you and I need, when the storms come, when you get betrayed, when you get hurt, whenever you get trampled on, when something goes crazy in your life, you lose your job, or some other tragic thing happens in your life, you're going to need a fully secured salvation to endure and get past the storm. I remember back a number of years ago, phone rang. Somebody on the other end told me that one of our family's house was ablaze. And I immediately got in the car and drove a short distance to where the folks live. And sure enough, the house was fully engulfed and would ultimately be pretty much totally destroyed. Firemen were there trying to get it under control. And I walked up and here the man stood and his wife and a couple of teenage kids. And I walked up and kind of uh, grabbed him by the, by the arm and he looked at me and he said, Pastor, I try to do right. I'm trying to live right. And, and look what happens. And I saw that fright in his eyes. That, uh, I saw something in his eyes that really kind of frightened me. And that was one of the last times I'd ever saw him. He walked out, quit church, became angry, became bitter. And you say, what, what's the deal there? I, I, don't, I don't have any way to assess what the problem was except to say that if salvation is fully secured, you have a lot less likelihood of becoming bitter. That bitterness is really a self-infliction by somebody who's responding in a way other than what God would have you to respond to things. The second thing that I'm going to recommend to you is that you have a trustworthy Bible. A trustworthy Bible. Again, I get a lot of mail from folks fussing at us 
because we won't agree to uh, using what I call a tampered Bible. In the process of my educational pursuits, I took Hebrew. While I was doing it, I thought Hebrew was taking me, but, but I, I did uh, get working skills in the language. And I took Greek as well. And in the midst of taking all of that, and through the years, uh, people have said, oh, you know, they got it wrong, they didn't get it right. Well, I I'm thankful to have working skills. I'm not a scholar in either language, but I do have working skills in both. And time after time after time, when somebody has attacked the King James text, I've gone and checked in either the Hebrew Old Testament or in the Greek New Testament, and looked carefully at the wording of it and how it's presented and all of that. And let me tell you, over the years, step by step, piece by piece, the group of men who, gave, who did the translation of this text into English, probably the greatest uh, committee, 50 some out of them, uh, probably the greatest committee of Hebrew and Greek scholars ever assembled. There was a time, there was a time when people, I mean in, in, in school, in, in grade school, people learned Hebrew and Greek. Uh, we were, you know, now we're doing Plato and whatever else, I guess, in a lot of the schools. But, uh, but they, a lot of people were able to handle it. They took it. They learned it. In fact, the early days of this country, a lot of education was that way. And I'm just telling you, the Hebrew and Greek text validates the credentials of the book that we've got in front of us that we use all the time. And whenever you have a battle going on in your life, when there's a storm breaking in your life, you need a trustworthy Bible. Something you can look at and you can say, I can camp on that, I can believe that, I can rest on that, I believe that is what God said. And it's true. At the same time, along with a fully secured salvation and a trustworthy Bible, you need a strong local church home. You need a church home without, that's without drift, that's not into cultural appeasement, that's not signed up for political correctness, but is signed up, point number one, advocating secure salvation. Point number two, preaching a trustworthy Bible. That kind of a local church. Listen, folks, when something goes crazy in your life, you have a death in your family, you have a tragedy in your family, something goes crazy in your business, don't run from the church. Don't run from the pastor. Don't hide from the folks who have loved you before you had a problem. Fact is, the folks who loved you before you had a problem, they'll still love you if you have a problem. One of the worst things we can do is be embarrassed to the point where that we want to hide from the people who know the love of God and practice it. So a strong, solid, local home church will help you in the time of the storm. Number four, I'm going to advocate that you find yourself a stable mentor. Somebody who's maybe years ahead of you. Somebody who is experience-wise ahead of you. Maybe educationally they're ahead of you, whatever. They, they are somebody with a proven track record. And by the way, they, they've already made sure about point number one. I'm talking about the mentor. And point number two. And point number three. 
If they're, if they're not locked in to a secure salvation, a trustworthy Bible, and a strong local church, you don't want them to be your mentor. But you need a stable mentor. You say, stable, yes, I'm talking about stable horse sense. You know what I mean? Somebody who's got good, solid, scriptural sense that you can look to. Number five, I'm going to suggest that you have a constructive fellowship. A constructive fellowship. You know, I have acquaintances. I have acquaintances that I don't let into my inner circle. I mean, I run into them. I meet them. I may minister to them in some way. But I will not, I will not become buddies with them. You say, why is that? Because they, they're, they're struggling. And if I let them in my inner circle... They, they might do me more damage than I could recover from. I need an inner circle. I need a constructive fellowship. My dear wife's in that, fellowship, in that constructive fellowship for me. Uh, my two grown children are in that constructive fellowship. And I've got some grandchildren that are grown that are making their way into my constructive fellowship. And uh, I mean, I've loved them from the day they were born but I don't let them influence me till they get their feet on the ground good. Now, and others, I have dear, dear friends that are in that inner circle. And uh, Pastor, you were talking about uh, your men, your deacons. Uh, I have the privilege as editor of the Sword of the Lord, I have a board of 12 men of which Andy Bloom is one of them. And, uh, and these are men that I've invited to be on that board to serve along with me because I respect them and because I have confidence in them. But, but they, they, are, they are men that I can trust. They are men that I can look to, to ask for advice. and all. I mean, they are in my inner circle. And we all need that. It's constructive when you have that kind of a fellowship. Number six, you're going to manage the storm. Well, some of you have already done all the education that you plan on probably, but there's a number of you in this room maybe that are still pursuing education and the kind of education you need is what I'm going to call a classical education. Too many things now are, well, they're just bent wrong. They're teaching all, I mean, they're, they're advocating things that just, just do not need to be taught to young people. They're indoctrination centers instead of education institutions. And we need a classical... You know, I, I think it'd be great. You remember, you remember when... Uh, I hate to even mention his name. You remember when President Clinton said... You remember when he said, you know, they just passed some big bill. He said, we're going we're gonna to have it so every kid can be able to read time he's in the sixth grade. Y'all remember that? <laughs> Hey, listen, we had a Christian school in my church in Maryland, and, uh, and, and our, our, kid, our kids in K-4 were learning to read. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and if they didn't, you know, we were going to find out from a teacher what was going on here, or what wasn't going on. You know, I think it's great. Kids go to school, they learn that two and two equals four all the time. And, and other such things as that. You know? And by the way, if we teach them everything we ought to teach them, uh, 
Things like the golden rule in Matthew chapter 7. We, t we teach them things like that. They'll learn how to treat one another. They, they'll, they'll, not, they'll not be mean to other people. They'll, they'll learn to walk right. Classical education will help to get us through the storms when people, I mean, when people mistreat you, you don't have to mistreat them. And if we're educated right on those kinds of things, Number seven, surviving the storms. You need a functional family. A functional family. Now, I'm probably talking to some of you that you're living alone. Well, all the more reason why you need that constructive fellowship I was talking about where you let some people in your inner circle. But if you have a spouse, the two of you make a family. <coughs> and if you have, if you have children, <laughs> you know, I've often said, you know, marriage was great, and then we had children. <laughs> now, it came out all right. My son's been my partner for 30 years, working together. It's our 30th year. And uh, our daughter's been serving the Christian school for a lot of years as well. Now, I, I'm just simply saying, a functional family. I tell Betty all the time, when I get my day's work done, when I finish the office, when I walk out of the office in the afternoon and make that little 10, 12 minute drive across town, I look forward to going home. I want to go home. I'm, I'm excited to get to go home. I like that. Why? Because our family functions like a family. We undergird one another. We support one another. We love one another. We encourage one another. We try to make one another happy. I've had people ask me, because I've been married a long time. We got married right out of high school. I've had people ask me, how, 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 do, how, how do you all do that? And I, I said, you know, one little formula that she and I have used, we just try to out-honey each other. Just try to out-honey each other. I try to be sweeter to her than she is to me, and she tries to be sweeter to me than I am to her. You say, what's the score? I'm not even sure there is a score. We just try to be good to each other. And that, that's, a, that's a good foundation, I'm telling you. Real good. A functional family. Number eight, we need a scripturally based character. A lot of folks are making up their own rules. God's already laid out a bunch of stuff for us. We don't have to invent life for ourselves. A scripturally based character. You know, our kids came along. They were sinners from the get-go. You say, why is that? They're born with a sin nature. We didn't have to teach them to lie. They figured that out on their own. We had to teach them not to lie. Did you break the cookie jar? Oh, no, Mother, I didn't break the cookie jar when they're the ones that knocked it off the kitchen into the floor and broke it. We have to teach them. Well, you say, well, who are you? The fact that you're the daddy or you're the mom? Uh, uh, who, who are you to tell them that they can't say whatever pops in their mind? God already laid in the book. We're not to bear false witness. We're not to lie. We're to be speakers of truth. Same thing about stealing and adultery and other such things as that. A scripturally based character. I'll tell you something else that will help you when the storms come. I'm talking about an unfailing anchor. And that's an abounding attitude. Uh, one of the passages that helped me so much. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be you steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Always abounding. I like that phrase, always abounding. 
You say, but the, but, the, but the storm is coming. Don't let it spoil you. Don't let it take your joy away. I mean, keep those joy bells ringing they were singing about a little while ago. In the midst of the circumstances, you and I don't have to cave in to the issues. We don't have to let something sour, sour us. We can keep our heart, keep our spirit, and be abounding as we go. And number 10... You and I need a biblical, godly worldview. A lot of folks are getting off track these days because people are selling them off of a biblical worldview. You say, uh, why do the liberals and all these folks, why do they, why do they get so hung up on the Bible? I tell, you, I tell you what they do. They haven't read much of the Bible because they hung up on the very first verse. You say, well, that's just a little short verse. I know, and they, they don't even have to read it all to get hung up. A lot of these folks, they read, in the beginning, God, and that's as far as they get. It's like nobody's, nobody's, nobody's going to tell me what to do. Nobody's going to be God to me. Nobody's going to be superior over me. And they absolutely intend to be in charge of themselves. And so they're going to make no place for God. But I'm telling you, it's a sweet day. It's a good day. It's a beautiful day. Whenever we recognize what that passage tells us, in the beginning, God created. It means you didn't evolve from anything. But He created the heavens and the earth. And those early chapters of Genesis tell us the whole story of how we got here. We need a biblical worldview. God is God. Men live, and they live a little while, and they go out into eternity, and what's next? They're going to meet God. They're going to have to face Him in judgment. There's a heaven and there's a hell. All of that, it's a part of the biblical worldview. And folks, I don't mean to be repetitious, but I'm just saying to you, storm after storm after storm after storm, they just keep coming. But you and I, and have some anchors that will be unfailing even though the storms are unrelenting. You say, but I've had so many things go wrong. I've had so many things turn out bad. I've had so much hurt. What I have just given you tonight, those 10 items, they will help you. They will keep you. They will strengthen you. They will keep you in the harness. They will keep you in the saddle. They will keep you going no matter the storms. Many of you, most of you will remember, in August 2005, we had a hurricane down here on the Gulf called Katrina. That hurricane did a lot of damage on the Gulf Coast. <coughs> and uh, Pensacola was especially hard hit. The very next week after the hurricane, I was in Pensacola and all over town, there were blue tarps on house after house and business after business. Literally hundreds and hundreds of places had damage and they had, instead of a roof, they had a blue tarp on it. Everywhere you looked, there was devastation except one place. The place was a place that you know about, Pensacola Christian College. They have a <clears throat> fabulous campus, 
numbers of multi-story buildings. They have their own uh, generating system, uh, own power system, so that if the power goes out, they still have electricity, uh, power generating plant. In the midst of all of that, with things tore up all over town, Pensacola Christian College got six windows blown out. It was all the damage they had. You say, how did they get spared from that massive storm? Why? They, they had 5,000 people on the campus when it hit. 5,000 people. Nobody got hurt. Only six windows blown out. And you say, well, how did that happen? Our mutual friend, Arlen Horton, prepared so that every one of those buildings was built to sustain hurricane force weather. Long before there was a Katrina, they built those buildings and they prepared for the day when it would come. The storms did come and uh, they basically were untouched. Oh, there was one other thing. Dr. Horton told me, he said, well, we did have one problem. He said, we didn't have enough generating capacity at the power plant to keep the air conditioning running in all of the buildings. But he said, he said, but we're going to fix that. And they went out and spent a bunch of money and upgraded the power plant. So he said, that'll never happen again. You say, what's he saying? He was just preparing again for something he thought he had enough, but it wasn't. So he went out and made the preparation. Now, folks, here's what I'm trying to tell you tonight. This passage that I read in the Bible says the devil like a roaring lion. He's walking about seeking whom he may devour. He's bringing storm after storm after storm. Those storms are going to hit Christian people just like they hit other people in the world. And then that precious 10th verse says, But the God of all grace who hath called you into his eternal glory by Christ Jesus after that you have suffered a while. He will make you perfect and establish you and strengthen you and settle you. And I'm just telling you, dear friend, whatever the storms and with whatever frequency and multiplicity that they come, those storms should not define us. The, the anchors, the unfailing anchors that God gives should be what defines us. And if you get the anchors in place, whatever the storms are, you'll still be chugging along. You'll still be plodding forward. You'll still be serving God. And you'll still have your testimony, even when the storms have come. And it's my prayer tonight. Whatever the burdens you carry, don't let it take you down. Find out how to get hold of all of these things God has available. And anchor yourself there. And you'll be glad that you did. For time and eternity, you'll be glad that you did. Amen. Stand up please and let's pray together.